So anyway, I was eating candy one day, which I do most every day. Um, yeah, I have a drawer at work that I have, and it slides open, and there's just like random stuff in there. I've got like oatmeal. I had, um, yeah, I've got oatmeal. Yeah, I roll it myself, and no, I'm just kidding. Um, I have oatmeal. I had chia seeds. I had granola. I had a lot of candy. Um, I had a 10-pack of Drake's Cakes, and I ate those all in two days. Um, I, I, I really get bored when I work, especially when you're sitting all day. It's like, what do you do? If anybody sits all day at work, you know what you're going to do. You're just going to snack on something, and um, yeah, and then your blood sugar goes way up. So I was eating candy, and I opened up this wrapper, and it said, it said, don't just talk about it, be about it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Threw it away. Ate some more candy. <laughs> opened up that one. Didn't say that. I'm like, oh, okay. Ate another piece of candy. Okay, I ate a lot of candy that day. I'm just saying it was, it was, I was just really like, man, it's warm up here. I'm bored. They're like, it's really slow. What do I do? I'm going to eat candy. And so I opened up the next one and it said, don't just talk about it. Be about it. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, okay. So I opened up another piece of candy. So I had four pieces of candy that day. And the wrapper said, in the inside said, don't just talk about it. Be about it. I was like, okay. I'm like, that's, yeah. And out of that entire bag of candy, nothing else said that. No, and I had a huge bag of candy. I'm just saying. Um, and um, I try to make it last at least two to three days um, for that candy. You know, most of the time, you know, well, when you buy a 10-pack of, uh, of, of little coffee cakes and you're like, yeah, I'll just eat one. And then by the time you get home, there's four more gone. Um, yeah. It doesn't work out well, so that's the reason I run. I don't run to be in shape. I run to counteract all the candy and food, junk food I eat. That's the only reason I exercise, because um, I'm not giving up that candy. Um, so, so I was thinking about it, and it made me, it was like, wow. It, it just, I know you get these cheesy little sayings in the candy, and I'm like, it's like a random fortune cookie. You're like, prosperity will come to you. I'm like, well, no, duh. And you, you, like, <laughs> and, um, you know, or you open up the fortune cookie, you're like, what the heck does that even mean? Because it's just some random weird saying. It's like, you know, I'm like, today luck will be on your side. I'm like, luck's always on my side. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, duh, fortune cookie. I already know what you, I already know what you're going to tell me. So I don't need you to tell me that that's already going to be on my side. So, but it made that phrase started to make me think about our lives as Christians. A lot of times we, uh, you know, when we're born again, when we get saved, we're a new creation. And that, that new creation is exactly what it is. It means new. It doesn't mean, um, well, I'm kind of reworked, remanned, retooled, whatever. It means that you are a new creation. So Second Corinthians 5.17. I've got some scripture for you today, so have your Bibles ready. Second Corinthians 5.17. Uh, this is from the New King James. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it means in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm using a lot of the uh, classic scriptures for you today because if I was going to read the Passion Translation or the, the, um, some of the other translations, we'd have about six pages where the translation of, of verbiage for that. So we're going to go through this scripture pretty quick here. But, so it means to become new, not remanufactured, not refurbished, not restored. You know, we always, we always uh, 
You guys ever shop for furniture in like the last couple years and you buy furniture and then you realize how just a big piece of junk it is when you buy new furniture and you're like, give me the sofa from 30 years ago that weighed 800 pounds and we could barely carry it out the door and your new furniture, you're just like, you're like, because it's made of cardboard. You know, we, we look at that and it's like, okay, God doesn't just take us and say, well, I'm going to rework little things in your life and we're going to tweak you to make you better. You know, we're not the million dollar man. Um, you know, we don't run and make weird noises when we run. Um, he doesn't restore us. He doesn't remodel us. He doesn't spruce us up. We do, we do things to our houses to make them look better. Am I right? We, we paint. We put another coat of paint over. You know, if you have gray paint and you want blue paint, you paint over it. Or if you're like Jared, you just rip the entire walls down. You know, just rip everything out. Um, but God doesn't take us and say, well, I'm going to change a little bit here and a little bit here and make, it, make you something better than what you were. He says, I'm going to make you a new creation. He takes us, and, and instead of remaking us, he rebirths us. He d- remaking and refurbishing is, is taking the original and trying to put a, another coat of paint on it to paint the barn to make it look better, to, to add something new to make it worth more. But God says you're a new creation, so your worth completely goes away, and he brings you into a whole new life, a whole new um, structure, and he says your worth is more than whatever you were 50, for the 50 years you lived before, the 30 years you lived before. Your, your worth comes from being new, not refurbished. Like my wife, she does all that little furniture stuff, and you know, I, I, I used to have half a barn that wasn't filled with stuff, and now we got all kinds of stuff, but she's selling it, so praise the Lord. Um, she's selling it. She, she makes money selling it, so that's a good thing. Uh, but he doesn't, he doesn't just clean us up. You know, when our kids come in and they're filthy, what do you do? You just hose them off, send them right back outside. If you haven't hosed your kids off at least once in their life from being dirty, you're not a good parent. I'm just saying. If you haven't held your kid up by their ankle when they're like two and sprayed them off because they're just like just squirming too much, you are not a good parent. So you need to, you need to get on that. And for you who are pregnant and they're going to have kids, if you haven't done it with your first kid, do it with your first kid. And if, as a parent, you need to do that because just dip them in. No. <laughs> yeah. So don't hold them down too long though. Um, so God does not take junk and polish it up. He doesn't take something old and say, well, I'm going to put something new on it and make it look better. So I'm going to present you, oh, look, he's new, but he's really not. He's just made to look new. You know, we, we talk about how God takes things out of our lives. And, and when he heals us, he takes things out of our lives. But what, what we, we tend to forget is we, we use kind of a, a, a counteracting verbiage when we talk about God taking things out of our lives because, wait a minute, isn't our heart new? And then our lives are new, our heart is new, and then, well, oh, God's just taking this out of my life. It's like, wait a minute, we have a new life, we have a new, we're a new creation, creation, new creature in Him, but we talk about, oh, God's just taking this out of my life. Well, no, you're, you're new, why, why do we have old in something new? You know, it talks about we don't put new wine in an old wineskin. Because what it'll do is it'll deteriorate it. Because as it ferments, it, it takes the, the leather and, and dis- actually destroys the leather. So if you have a, a, an old wineskin that's dried up and you put new wine in, it's just going to burst. It's going to lose what it has. 
So when we, we say, oh, God's working in my life, it's like, yes, I understand God's working in your life. But when we're born again, that means the old is gone. So that means we don't retain it. We don't hold on to it. We don't say, okay, well, I've got this closet in my life that I'm just going to throw everything else in that I kind of want to keep around. I want to keep the old, the old bitterness in re- of relationships. I want to keep some of the old things. And I, No, he doesn't come in and say, I'm going to clean your, your heart out. He says, I give you a new heart. Yeah. I give you a new life. He doesn't cover the old. He makes us new. So, you know, it made me start to think about it. We, we in our lives, we'll, we will see people that, in, that are close to us or just acquaintances that will get born again. And they're just, you know, you ever seen this? They're on fire. They're like, like, literally, they're like the Apostle Paul. They're born again, and they're just like, I am going to go change the world. I'm going to do everything. I'm going, and they're just preaching to everybody, and they're like, this is the best thing ever. You've got to know Jesus. Jesus is going to change your life. But then, like, six months later, a year later, they start to, you know, they're, they're on a full run, and then pretty soon they're doing this, and then they're just, like, dragging themselves, and they lose that steam, and then they eventually fall back into the lifestyle that they had. They, they, they kind of just fizzle out. And God didn't make us new and, and, and put a fire in us for us to fizzle out. He put a fire in us for us to ignite the world and to light, be a city on a hill, a light, so people come to us. And so what happens is, is we, we, we get this, and we've all been there, we've had that, we get that moment of revelation, or, you know, we may have been saved 20 years, and God just does something in our life, and we're like, this is amazing, we just go, we go, and then like three months later, you're like, what was that? I don't remember that, because what happens is, is we, we, lo- we start to gain that, fu- we gain that fire, and it's like, this is great, this is great, but what happens is we don't feel that fire. So fire as you know, starts with a spark and it lights something on fire. And whatever is there, it will burn up. But if we don't add something to that fire, it will eventually die. Well, we had a fire on Friday and we had a bunch of logs there. I took the stick and poked them around and, and at the end of the night and they were all separated. But what happened is when I woke up the next morning, they were all gone except for the last piece that we had on there, but it was still smoldering. So even though there wasn't a flame, the coals underneath, the heat that was on there burnt them up. But what happens is, is if there's nothing for that to burn, if there, there was, say there was just coals and there was nothing else, there would just be coals and there would be ash in the morning. But in our lives, what we do is we get this, we get this raging fire and we're like, I'm going to do it. I'm, th- I'm going to go for it. God is telling me what to do. And then all of a sudden, it's like, eventually we look like a bonfire with ash in the bottom. And it's like, what happened? Where, where, what happened to that fire that was there? Because there wasn't a constant feeding of that fire. I could keep a fire going. I kept a fire going for two weeks one time. Just every day, feed a little bit to it. It wasn't a big fire, but it was always there. There was always something burning because you just throw something on it every day. But we see people who are born again, and they're just so zealous, and they love God, and, but eventually it's just like, what happened? Where, where, where did the fire stop being fed? Where did the fire go out? And then they turn, and then they kind of just, their old life tends to start to come back. You know, the, the people that they would hang out with, the, uh, the, the things that they would say, the, the things that they would do start to come back. 
You know, the once there was a spark just started to fade. They were once zealous, but now they're just apathetic. You know, it, you guys ever been that way? Yeah. You know, it's like, I love God, and you're like, you go for it. Especially when you're young, you're just like, you're, I'm going to do, I'm going to take over the world, and then you're, you know, and then you, you're like, oh, wait a minute. You just kind of lose that momentum that you do. But eventually people, and, and I, especially being in youth group, you see a lot of this. Kids are just like, I'm on fire for God. I love God. And then like two and a half minutes later, they're like, oh, my life. It's the worst thing ever. Oh, God, just take me from this earth now, you know. Um, but that's how youth group, if you haven't worked in youth group, that's how youth group is. So <laughs> it, it, they usually ebb and flow every two and a half to three minutes um, of good and bad. But in our life, we get people saved and, and they spend couple years or a couple months or whatever and it's like okay how, how do we continue on in the things of God without going back to our old life and you know I look at I look at a lot of them they talked a lot about it and they they really like to talk about it but they didn't seem to be about it yeah. Yeah. It, it was lip service they, they were zealous for it, and they would tell people about it, but it wasn't a lifestyle of it. It was an action of it. It was, a, it, it was just an action, a reaction to what had happened to them instead of it changing the, them completely and saying, okay, I want to change my life. They get excited about it. It's like a kid that eats too much candy. They get really excited for a short period of time, and then they fizzle out because the, the sugar's gone. So, you know, we look at that, and a lot of times it, it, they're, they're so excited to do it, but the, it, they like to talk about it and, and have the actions about it, but their, their lives haven't changed to be about it. And our lives need to change. If we're going to follow Christ, our lives need to change to be about his, his kingdom, about his work, in order to change people's lives. So... I was going over and I was thinking about what are, what are the things that we need to do instead of just talking about it, we need to be about it. So what do we do in order to be about it? And the first one is, is your life has to be surrendered to him. Surrendered to him, not like, well, you know, hey, Jesus, I'll see you on Sunday and a little bit before on Saturday night when I pray that Sunday goes well. It has to be a lifestyle of surrender to the king. It has to be a lifestyle of surrendering to God so that your life is his, not yours. You know, uh, America, see the rest of the world, they've just kind of given up on church. They're like, yeah, we just don't go to church. We're just not going to go to church. But America is, is just, I love America because America is filled with churches that people don't even know why they go to church, but they just go to church because five generations of people have gone to church. And it's not because they're about it. It's because they, were they just talk about it. You know, I, I remember as kids going to church and people just coming to church because they, didn't, they, they never did anything. They didn't open their Bible. They didn't raise their hands while worship. They just sit in church. Because why? It's because that's what we do. We go to church because that's the good thing to do. It becomes an act of service instead of act of surrender. 
It's like I'm giving God his, his 10 cents or his 10% and I come here, but then I'm going to go live my life the rest of the, the week like I want to live it. And what happens is, is because it's not a lifestyle of surrender, it's a lifestyle of, well, I'll give it to him when I have the time to. And I'll give him my time and I'll give him my life in the certain areas that I want to give it to him in. But the other areas, and we're all guilty of this, we hold on to and we hold on to those little areas and we're like, you know, I'm just going to hold on to this until he pries it from my hands. So we have to live a lifestyle of surrender to him. So Luke t- uh, 9.23 and this is actually from the Passion Translation, and, G- and it says this, Jesus said to all of his followers, if you truly desire, desire to be my disciple, excuse me, you must disown your life completely, embrace my cross as your own, and surrender to my ways. So that means that we have to look at our lives and say, you know what, I give up everything of my life. I die to myself, and I die like you died on the cross. My life is going to be that. I love how Jesus, when he, he calls his disciples, he doesn't send them in a card and says, in two weeks, I will be here, and I'm going to ask you to serve me. So why don't you think about it for the next two weeks? And when I come, I need your answer. No, he walks up to him and he says, oh, hey, um, leave your father, leave your brothers, follow me, and I'll make you fisher of men. D- did it say, what does it say? It says they immediately left their nets and their father and followed him. I don't know what that situation was like. I don't know if Jesus had a conversation with them and that was just paraphrasing. He said, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. Follow me. Or if it was just Jesus coming up to them and saying, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And they're just like, I know who this man is. Like something in their spirit knew who he was and what he was going to do and just said, we got to go immediately. But there was something about that that when he said, follow me, that they just left. You know, and he says, if you truly desire to be my disciple, he goes, you must surrender your life to me. That's hard sometimes, you know, because we're like, okay, Jesus, you just stay in the car. I'm going to have a conversation with this person right now. And when I get back, then we'll have a conversation. But I'm going to go talk to that person right now. And you stay here. And, but he's telling his disciples, he says, He's telling the people following him and listening to him speak. He's like, if you want to be my disciple, your life has to be mine. So we have to, that means our life has to be directed by him. It can't mean that, hey, oh, Jesus, hey, um, I'm going to come to you when I need advice every now and then. And when I'm going through something, then I'm going to come to you. When I need something or when something's going wrong, then I'm going I'm to really have a, a good relationship with you. So stay there. When I need you, I'll call you. No. He is not just someone there to give us advice when we want advice. He's not someone who's just there to make us feel better when, if you want to feel better, you can listen to, like, Delilah in the evening. She'll make you feel better, you know. Just, if you really want to feel nice, just listen to her. But that's not who God is. God isn't there just to give us a, a pep talk and send us back out. There you go, sport. Get back out there. You're going to be good. It doesn't work that way. But we treat him that way sometimes. We're like, God, I love you, and I, I, but I, you know, 
hey God, it's me, haven't talked in a while, I really love you, oh by the way, I need this. If you could do this for me. We kind of treat them like a slot machine. Like, hey God, really love you, please help me. But a surrendered life, that means our, our conversation is with him daily. A surrendered life means we go to him and say, God, what do you want to do today? Not what do oh, I want to do today. God, what are you asking for today? Not, God, I am asking this today. What's great about God is he knows before we ask what we're going to ask and what we need is he already knows. So, I, I think he laughs when we come to him, like, you know, those times where we really don't have a, a relationship with him and we don't have a good open dialogue. We're like, hey, God, it's me. Remember me? Um, love you. Can I have this? Or I need this. And he's probably just like, what are you doing? Like, why? I mean, it's like, I know who you are. We haven't had a good conversation in like 10 years. So why are you coming to me and asking me these things? But our life, ha in order for our life to be an fully surrendered to God, it has to be a daily mindset of, God, what are you doing today? God, where are you going today? God, where am I going today? Because you want me to go there. God, who do you want me to talk to? There's times where, you guys ever had that moment where you're around somebody and you can just feel like, man, I really, I feel like I need to talk to them because they're going through something, but God tells you not to. If you have never had that feeling, then you need to, to reassess. And then there's moments where you don't want to talk to somebody and God's like, you need to talk to them. And you're like, dang it, I don't want to do that. You're like, I'm in the middle of eating Taco Bell and I do not want to talk to them right now. But a life of surrender says, God, I can see that they're hurting and they need someone to encourage them. He goes, well, maybe you're not the one to encourage them. And then there's other times you're like, God, I don't want, really want to mention or even talk to them because I'm in the middle of doing what I want to do. I'm getting what I want to go. You know, the grocery list, you know, you're in the middle of the store, you get the grocery list or you get that list from your wife and you're like, and then you ask, uh, where's this? So if you're, if you're a man, you've d you, that's how you shop. I'm just saying, you, you don't know, like, what's really bad is Meyer just uh, came into town and I'm just like, I'm walking down the, the main aisle like this, looking, and this lady's just giggling, and she's like, can I help you find something? I'm like, I have no idea where this is. <laughs> so, I don't know, where was I going with that? Um, but there's times where you're going, and you're like, okay, I got to get this, I got to get into the store, I got to get out, and God says, talk to that person. And then there's other times where you're like, all going through the store, just, I'm just going to casually look, and God's like, oh, you need to go talk to that person. And you're like, I'm here just to have fun. And he's like, yeah, but you're, if your life is surrendered to me, you're going to do what I ask you to do. And sometimes that, that, that is inconvenient, but nothing that Jesus did for us was convenient. Everything that he did was a sacrifice for us. So, the second thing is, if, if his life was a sacrifice to us for us to have a new life, that means, number two, our old life has to stay gone. 
The old life can't be like outside. Hey, if you ever want, I'm out here for you. You ever had that weird neighbor that just kind of shows up at your house and um, just knocks on the door? Just drops off random stuff to you? (laughs) Yeah, I love living next to or across the street from John Adonis because you never know what you're going to find when you come home. Like on Friday, there was just two dozen egg, and I don't know who did it. I think it was them, but yeah. And, and like we just find random stuff hanging on a door. Like one day, we just get a message, and it's like, "Hey, dinner's on the door," and there was a bunch of stuff in in a grocery bag hanging on the door. And I'm like, "Okay," but that's a good neighbor. And then you got the creepy neighbors who just show up. And they don't knock very loud, and they just stand at the door, and you're just like, you're really creeping me out right now. But they're just there, and you don't, and they're always, they're always just kind of lurking. Lurking, yeah, they're lurking. So, but with our old life, when it says that we're a new creation, our old life has to go away. It can't just be outside, just like, hey, if you ever need me, I'm right outside. We can go have fun. Just close the blinds. So our old life has to stay gone. If we're a new creation, that means we have a new, we have a new life to start to live out. Not the old life is going to be there to go out and hang out when we're bored. Galatians 2.20 says, My old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. For the nails that crucify, excuse me, for the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of my new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives in my life. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. I love that last phrase. He dispenses his life into mine. He doesn't just say, okay, you have a new life, good luck, go out and live it. He literally dispenses his life into ours. He takes our lives and says, you know what? I have a better life than you. It's just Jesus. He has a better life than us. It means he's in heaven for crying out loud. I mean, he has a better life. He lives in full um, conversation with God every day. He is God. He, but he doesn't just like, oh, he doesn't give us crumbs from the table. He dispenses it. It's like you go to God and you're like, God, I am just struggling I need this, God. Please help this person. He's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, here. You need faith? Boom, here it is. You need hope? Boom, here it is. You need something to say to that person that I just told you to talk to? Boom. I'm going to dispense it into your life so you have what you need. So our old life has to be gone because the new life keeps getting fed by the direct connection to Jesus Christ. Our, our, our com- line of communication is coming from the Father through Jesus to us in the Holy, and through the Holy Spirit. So we have three points of connection to dispense into our life so the old life is gone. We don't have, well, you know, I was just hoping that it would just be, you know, could I keep like this third of a section for my old life? And then, you know, like we'll just lock it, so, but, but when I do need it, I can go get it. He's like, no, you have to get rid of it. In order to have new life, you have to get rid of old life. I'm not saying that everything in your old life is just going to magically poof, disappear. But the old ways, the old mindsets, the old lifestyles have to go away in order for the new mind, the new lifestyle, and the new 
life to come into effect. The ESV um, translation says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. Getting rid of the old life may mean getting rid of some things that keep you, moving, keep you from moving into your new identity. Your identity in Christ is tied up in your new life. So if we, we try to live the old life and try to become a, and be a new cre- creation, it doesn't work. Because the dead man's dragging the new man into the ground with him. And a lot of people like to dig up the old man and just drag him around with them. So you may have to get rid of some things in order for that new, new life to become the way it is. Things that you say, things that you listen to, things that are directing your life, you may have to get rid of. One of the things, we're just going to get r- r- right down to it, is, and I have seen this, is the music you listen to will direct the way you think. So, um, for all you country music fans out there, yep, your dog's going to die. <laughs> the truck's going to break down. <laughs> and your wife's going to leave you. N- it, may, it may be in any three of those orders, or your, your wife may leave you and hit the dog with the truck on the way out. I don't know. Um, but... Think about what you listen to. What are you, what is, what is the, the main thing we listen to all day long? What is it? We listen to music most of the time. Sound. We always have something on. Usually there's something going on in the background. Even at work, you have the radio on just really light or the, your speakers at work are on really low just because you're always listening to something. So there's always something being inputted into your brain. So why, why do we wonder why our lives don't change when what we listen to affects that you know it, it, what's funny is is we 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 have bare we have boundaries with people we have walls that we put up with people and say hey you you can't enter here but we'll leave the radio on and it's just a constant barrage all day long eight hours ten hours a day whatever it is and while we're driving in the car that's that's being inputted into us whether we realize or not we're hearing it and what happens is when we hear it we process it when, when we hear it, we're, we're actually whether we agree with it or not, we're processing it. And I've, I've talked to people who, they may not agree with something, but they start to listen to something on a regular basis, and then like, well, you know, I can kind of see that way. And it's like, really? You totally disagreed with it. You, compl- you thought it was completely backwards, but now you started to listen to what was going on with that, and you're like, well, you know, I could see this. And it's like, wait a minute, you just got transformed, and you didn't even realize it. So it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what are we renewing our mind on? If we renew our mind on the things of the world, we're going to start looking like the old man again. If something from the outside can change your internal culture without you realizing it, you need to put a barrier up there. If something that you're listening to can, can influence you in a counter counter cultural way of what Jesus ha- is trying to p- 
put into your life and what God is, is doing in your life, then there's a boundary that needs to be put up. Turn it off. Keep a wall up because if your life is being influenced, if you're like, well, you know what? I believe this is, this is wrong. God gives you a certain, you read in the word and says, this is wrong in the word, so this is, okay, this is wrong in life. And then you start listening to something and you start to, well, you know what? I just really changed my opinion on that. Yeah, your opinion may have changed, but God's didn't. God's word didn't change. Your internal culture changed because it went away from God's internal culture. So, if we're going to change the world around us, if we're going to continue to run, we have to have our old life stay gone. Don't go looking for it. Don't go digging it up. Don't be dragging it around. And don't hide it in the closet so you can just access it when you need it. So, for us, it says that we're in Christ. That means we're, ra he's ra we're wrapped up in him. That means he, he covers our lives. So if you read what it says in the Bible, it says about um, our lives in Christ. It says that when God sees us, he sees us through the blood of Christ. That means there's this layer wall of, of the blood of Christ that when he looks through, it purifies everything that he sees in us. He looks at us and says, you're purified because you've gone, the blood of Christ covers you. It means redemption. You, he sees you. He doesn't see you as sinner. He sees you as redeemed. Yeah. He doesn't see you as, oh, old man. Well, oh, well, the, the old man was kind of there. He sees the blood and says, okay, you're covered with Christ. That means everything that he has done for you, you have. So we don't have to say, well, you know, I just, I just think that, you know, God's just not happy with me. If you're in him, God loves you. He is happy with you. Does he think that there's things that can change? Absolutely. But it doesn't make him mad at you. If you're born again, the wrath of, of God was taken out on Christ Jesus. So, in order for our lives to be wrapped in him, for us to be submitted to him, our lives have to be a sacrifice to him. Talked about earlier, it says, it says I was crucified with him. So our lives have to be sacrificed. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Beloved friends, what should your proper response to God's marvelous mercies be? I encourage you that you should surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing that all, excuse me, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. So our act of worship is living in holiness and the, the ways that he wants us to. It's not, well, I come and worship you for 30 minutes or 20 minutes on a Sunday. Our lives should be an act of worship. Our lives should be wrapped in him so that when we, when we step out into this world, when we step out of our front door, when we go to talk to the people, when we go to work and we go different places, our lives should be wrapped up in him that when he sees us, and when they see us, they should see that our lives are an act of worship. So if we're going to be transformed, our lives have to be an act of worship. Verse 2 says, stop imitating the ideas 
or excuse me, ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a life satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So it doesn't say try. It says that when you stop thinking and acting like the world, quit accepting their values as your values, and be transformed by renewing your mind. We renew our mind on the Word of God. The Word of God is how we, we, tra- we transform our lives. We look at the Word and say, okay, Jesus said this. I need to do this. Jesus lived this way. I need to do this. Luke two forty nine says, And Jesus said to them, Why do you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my Father's business? What I love about this is he's 12 years old. They took him to the temple. Big family group. They all leave. Oh, Jesus is back there with so-and-so. Yeah. Then about a day and a half later, they're like, where's Jesus? They go back and they find him. And he's sitting in the temple. And he's 12 years old. He's sitting in the temple and he's listening to the scribes and Pharisees and the teachers. And he's talking about them. But what it also says is that they were astounded by his wisdom of the word of God and his responses. And if our lives are going to be a sacrifice to him, we have to be about the Father's business. And it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of God for your life. So we can't say, well, I like this, but I like God's word. Can we just kind of do a 50-50? It has to be a transformation. If we're, if we're going to stay a longevity of the fire being stoked and continually running to the end, we have to be transformed in our, in our mindsets, not just, well, I do nice things now. There's a lot of people who do nice things, but they're not, they have no relationship with Jesus. They're, they don't have a relationship with the Father. Jesus was about his Father's work because he was transformed by his father and knew the words of his father. Think about this. We preach out of the New Testament. What did Jesus preach out of? He didn't have the New Testament to preach out of. He wasn't preaching out of Philippians. He he was preaching out of the Old Testament because Jesus knew his father. He could see in the Old Testament what his father was doing. He could see the love and compassion that his father had, and he was teaching from the Old Testament and bringing a new culture into the people around him. The New Testament was about Jesus. Jesus is preaching from the Old Testament. I love how people are like, well, the Old Testament, that's, that's for the, we're, we're not under the law anymore. Well, you know what? The Old Testament, yes, had law, but it brought us grace. So there, there was value in law, but we don't live under it anymore. So Jesus, he's, he's transformed by his Father through the Old Testament. How much more can we be transformed by the Old and New Testament looking at Jesus and saying, you are what we follow. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So Paul's being transformed, and the people that follow him are being transformed. So we can go back and, and, and fizzle. We can, you know, get really zealous and fizzle out after a year or two. Or we can live a life that is... It's a slow burn, but it's, it's constantly there. And it's the old is gone, new has come. Old is gone, new has come. Because as we grow, there's always going to be old. Remove the old, get rid of the new. Or remove the old, bring in the new. Remove the old, bring in the new. And God wants to renew our lives daily. 
It's not like, well, I'm going to wait for that one-year retreat. At the end of that, that retreat, every year, God's going to change my life. We can't do that. We have, to, we have to be changed daily. We have to move from glory to glory, from victory to victory, from next level to next level with Him. Because if we stay in the same level that we were at, that we were four years ago, our revelation hasn't changed. Our revelation is the same revelation that we had when we were 12 is not going to work for us when we're 40. And our revelation that we had at 15 is not going to work for us when we're 60. We have to grow and be renewed by his word. We have to grow and be renewed. And our minds get transformed and take the old and say, you know what, that was old. That was a religious mindset I had of God. I didn't realize that I'm old. Uh, that's all gone. The new has come. I have a fresh revelation of who God is. Because if we transform our minds, religion will leave. Well, the problem is, is we, got, we have too many people that, that are, are, are bound to religion instead of, of revelation. We need revelation in our lives so we can be transformed by his word. Not, well, he said this and we're going to stick with that. And we're never going to think about it again. We're just going to, this is how we're going to do it. And there are some things, like the Ten Commandments, we're going to stick with the Ten Commandments. But revelation comes from a, a relationship with him, not, well, his word said this, and that's the only revelation from God that we can get. Because I, I love when uh, I had a person come up to me and tell me, he says, Paul says in the New Testament, I don't allow a woman to speak. And I said, really? So I said, do you? And they said, no. I said, well, I said, that, that's, um, do you see what Paul said? He said, yeah. He says, I don't allow a woman to speak. I said, yeah. I said, Paul said, I don't allow a woman to speak. Well, that's the word of God. I said, yes. But you have to understand, if we take the word of God and we say, well, God said a woman should never speak. Then, I, then, uh, then Priscilla and Aquila Timothy's mother, uh, uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother, I said they were totally disqualified to raise Timothy and to raise him up in the word of God. So we can take that and say, well, yeah, that's, that's God. We're just going to stick with that. Or we can say and look at it within the context of what Paul was writing it to, the people he was writing it to, and when he was writing it, yeah. for, why, for the reasons why he was writing it. Yeah. Because what's happening is he's writing it to a group of people that need that word at that moment but he wasn't disqualifying timothy's mother he wasn't d disqualifying these other women to raise people up he was saying for that generation for this time and this period you're going to be quiet but he's saying there's a revelation in that we if we read that book and say this is solidified in stone that no woman should ever speak then what we're doing is we're saying the 50% of the body that we have has no value to the body of Christ, to, to, to speak into the body of Christ. So we can say, this is in stone, or we can say, I'm going to find out more about this by digging into it, looking into Scripture, looking into, to, uh, deeper into it, and say, I'm going to have revelation. So my revelation grows with my relationship with God instead of saying, well, everything's solidified, and this is how it is, it's in stone, and we just don't, we don't, move any way besides exactly how we were taught 50 years ago. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm coming to bring new life. 
He brought new life through the Old Testament. But we, why do we take Old Testament and try to, to lock people in when Jesus brought life with the, new, the Old Testament? So the Old Testament is there for guidance. And the New Testament is there for revelation. Because if we look at Jesus' words and we just take them as this is it and we don't look into them and actually see what's going on with them, our lives won't be transformed. We can read the entire Gospels and say, yeah, that was great, but not be transformed by them because we don't actually see what his words are saying and, and actually understand what he's saying. You know those footnotes at the bottom of your Bible? If you don't have them in the bottom of your Bible, you have them in the back of your Bible. They're really transformative because you can read what he's saying and then they say, this is where he was saying it to, this is why he was saying it. Because what it'll do is it'll broaden your understanding of who Jesus was talking to and why he was saying it or who Paul was talking to. And it'll say, you know what? I just got revelation out of that. So without revelation, we stay, in the old, we stay in the old and we'll start to fizzle out. But we need revelation in order to move on, on and grow by taking the old and saying, you know, that was religion. I throw it out. I found I got revelation from Jesus of what my life is supposed to be and who he is supposed to be in my life. And I'm going to continue moving on from there. I love how Jesus, he, um, he, he says to his mother, why did you seek me? You notice when he was 12, he didn't say woman. When he was a man, he said, woman, why are you doing this? Well, if he was 12 and said woman, he probably would have got smacked. Um, but Jesus said, why do you seek me? Did you not know I would be about my father's business? So his trans he got transformed by his father, and he said, I'm 12. I'm able to go and do this now. Didn't you know where I would be? I would be at my father's house. He had a revelation of who his father was because it was real to him. He was transformed in his mind. Let's pray.